0: This episode of the podcast is presented by Knowing Hospitality, a full service hotel management and consulting company that works directly with hotel owners and managers to help stabilize their properties and take on projects that are critical to their operation. Knowing Hospitality can be the extra set of hands that you need to make sure your hotel is best positioned for today's environment. Visit knowinghospitality.com to learn more. Now let's get to the podcast.
1: There's something he writes in the book, stands in the gray box, I'm looking at it right now, and it starts with disciplined people. When you have disciplined people, you get disciplined thoughts, you get disciplined action. Welcome to the Proven Principles Podcast, the show that deconstructs the inner workings of the hospitality industry, breaking down the tools, tips, and tricks that the world's best-run hotels use every day. Here's your host, Adam Knight.
0: My guest today is Michael Tingsayer. He's a good friend who I connected with a couple years ago on his podcast, Hospitality Mavericks, and I continue to work with him through the Hospitality Game Changers group on Facebook. This episode is a little different than typical shows because we're talking about a book that we're both very passionate about. Good to Great by Jim Collins has impacted both of our careers in more ways than we can count. We wanted to dive into some of the concepts in this book and share a roadmap on how to take some of these principles and apply them to your personal and professional situation. We try to connect much of what we talk about back to our own experiences. So I hope you find this not only makes it more relatable but also actionable. So let's get to it. This is episode thirty eight of the Proven Principles podcast, Michael Tingsayer on Good to Great. Enjoy Good to great, Adam. Good to great. let's uh, let's talk about. It. this is a this is a foundational book in my career, and I'm excited to dive into it with you, Michael.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I must say it's also a, a foundational book in, in, I would say, both in my career and life because actually I read it so much in my 20s, almost also became a bit uh, directive about how to build systems in my life. I've always mm-hmm. been very into what the best of the best are doing. And that was actually what drew me to the book. And that was why um, uh, I got into the book. Uh, and it was actually because I went to uh, also running... Uh, a restaurant at that point and was also studying at night because I got a bit tired of being full-time in university. So I said I'm gonna take two years where I'm gonna work a bit mm-hmm. because I'm a bit restless uh, as a hospitality person gets. But I had I had to uh, my mom and dad were very said you need to continue with something. So I found this course called Strategy and Leadership. And in the last year, we were doing our big masters or dissertation and we had to write about an organization you could either do it theoretical or you could do it in real life. So I choose mm-hmm. my organization I was employed in, which was a cafe chain at that point. And uh, it was this teacher, he was like very different professor. Uh, And his classes was absolutely like we were, he was like on his psychedelic level sometimes. Mm -hmm. And you just thought, what's going on here? Because he was talking about open space management and so on. And then he gave me this red book and said, this is the book you're going to use from what I've heard from you. This is the book you're going to write your dissertation on. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I went in and read that book. And then I was a bit like, wow. Okay. Wow. I've never seen it that simple, but this is what I've experienced in my own life as Mm -hmm. well. When I had leaders and been in an organization where I felt a bit of it worked. So yeah, so that, that was my introduction to Good to Great.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. When you kind of get this blinding flash of the obvious, right? When something, when your thoughts are put down on paper and someone words them in a way that that you're reading your own thoughts back to you, it's, uh, I mean, that that's kind of how you internalize a lot of the message, right? How it, how it comes across. My experience with the book, uh, it was I mean, truthfully, it was forced on me to read. Uh, when well, back when I was working uh, for Fairmont, it was a big, it was a it was a big book internally within the hotel. And then it very quickly became uh, an organizational book that you had to read. And it covered off on, to your point, a lot of these principles that that I instinctively knew were important to follow, and that I saw in leaders in practices that I really uh, bonded with and that spoke to me and that I agreed with and aligned with. Uh, but it just presented the information in a way that was very easily digestible and very easily actionable uh, in my own career, which which has, again, has stuck to me or stuck with me all the way through these years. And I I mean, i read that book initially, probably 15 years ago, 16 years ago. And, you know, I go back to it every now and then, um, just to, just to freshen up on it. It's between this one and seven habits. Those were the two books that just really, you know, cemented my, uh, uh, my i think my leadership style and how i approach leading teams um, but before we dive into this cuz we could talk forever i think on this yeah. subject here and hopefully people listening find it interesting i think it's incredibly interesting yeah um, me too but uh michael uh good friend and thank you for being on the show on the proof of principles podcast anyway you you ha- i've been on your show but you haven't been on on my podcast yet uh and it's really great to have you thanks for being here
1: yeah, yeah, I'm I'm super happy to be here. It's taking us some time, and we thought what we're we going to be talking about. We talked about let's start with good to great and see where it takes us because there was like a passion built there. And and I, I think I think for people that hasn't read the book out there, there is a, like the first line in the book. I highlighted that many years ago, I opened the book, I have it here next to me. And it says, uh, and that this is why you need to read it. It's like, it's so, it's so obvious why you have to read this book when you read the first line. It's so clever written, uh, Jim Collins, by the way, there's the author. Uh, the good is the enemy of the great. Mm-hmm. So it's about killing all that mediocrity there is sometimes in organization. And it actually means that it's not about if you're born to be great, It's actually good companies can become great if they work with these principles or concepts or what people call them that's in the book. And actually, work methodically, and actually, work hard on implementing them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and actually, it's a lot of there's actually a lot of being self aware within that. Mm-hmm. I would say when you talked about seven habits, and this and these two books are very well connected. I think that I think if a leader is on a personal journey, this is his organisational journey. If the the good to great or oh, the seven habits is the personal journey, mm-hmm. um, so, yeah. so 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 that that was mine. If I, if people thinking out there, why should I read that?
0: Just because of that. Because. just the first line and yeah. you know i think it goes on to say it's it, it's hard to become great right it being good is really easy and i think if i if i could paraphrase maybe the next few lines yeah. it says something about uh, you know we have uh, good we, we don't have great schools because we have good schools you know people don't have great lives because they have good lives it's very easy to be good and in a lot of cases being good is good enough but it truly takes uh, a, an extra level of effort to become great in what you're doing, in your craft, in your, in your organization. Um, and for people who truly want to get to that level, this book is, uh, is really the roadmap to get there.
1: Yeah. And, 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 the, and the, the most crazy thing, Morris, they asked themselves what, well, I think it was one question they asked themselves, is that what makes a good company great? Mm -hmm. And that was like the research question. And then they went out on a four year, a five year uh, journey, I think it was, uh, where they looked in what they called the black box because they had no ideas. And they're looking at companies at the stock exchange to have something to measure on. So there was no like emotional or their, their views coming in on it or their emotions about the business. Uh, and I came out some quite crazy companies in this. And that's what I always have been fascinated about. Some of these companies, I really didn't know because, of course, they were very American-focused, many of these companies. But I was like uh, Walgreens, uh, which mm-hmm. is uh, a retail uh, mm-hmm. company. A pharmacy, uh, yep. pharmacy company. You have Kruger, who is a retailer. I know that. Bethel. They, and then they have Nucor uh, as well. Uh, Kimberly Clark people mm-hmm. probably mention out there, Philip Morris of all companies. Of all companies, exactly. right. Um, and of course, this was over a 15-year period. So this can, of course, have changed now over time. But they looked over a 50-year period. It was similar to the same from the 80s up through the 90s. Um, it would be great to see them doing a study similar to this, in this new time win with all these unicorn companies. Oh, if, they, uh, if they are really great companies, are they really, you know... Financially strong and will withhold because that's what it's about in the end. You know they are financially strong enough to take care of their people, their communities, their part, and they are very engaged in things beyond their madness as well, uh, planet and so on. So, that's and I think that,
0: yeah, interesting yeah. point. I mean, no, and not to cut you off. I'm sorry, but I mean, you're, they're very strong in their conviction, right? Yeah. But is that enough to become a great organization? I guess time will tell.
1: Yeah. And I think, I think it was interesting was they, all of them had a quiet, because we always, we're always always obsessed with growth. And recently I did a podcast with a guy called David Chenery, where we talk about the future of hospitality. And we talk about probably we need to take the eye of the growth ball a bit Mm -hmm. and focusing a bit about more about the impact, what kind of impact that we're going to have on the world. Doesn't mean we shouldn't make profit, Profit is a different thing. Growth is sometimes evil because it forced people in a different different behavior. And money in many of these great companies was quite flat for many years. And then they had a breakthrough because the business was ready for the breakthrough. The organizational muscle was actually ready to do this journey. And it didn't really impact them so negatively to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, and their return, I think it was six times higher than the average stock on the stock exchange, some right. 6.7 or something like that. Right. Uh, but that's just interesting, again, from a, if you think about from a strategic leadership point of view, these company didn't, was not born great, they worked themselves great.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, uh, yeah, I like that a lot, actually. And being okay with not having any growth for a long time. And that's, I mean, that's so counter intuitive and, and, and against the grain of how, I mean, I mean, by and large society operates, you've got to have growth every month, every quarter, you've got to do better than same time last year. Uh, and, um, and if you, if you're not, then you're not, you know, you're not successful. Uh, and I wonder if what we've been going through in our industry now for the last, you know, almost year, if that's, if that's going to change, um, and again, time will tell when it comes to that, but uh, Michael, if if anybody listening to the Proven Principles podcast right now, uh, I know we, we're a little late into the episode to do a quick intro, but I mean, tell everybody who you are. How did you get into the industry? You're, you're, you're host of the Hospitality Mavericks podcast, which got me, actually got me into podcasting uh, a couple years ago, and then good to go, you know, almost full time with it earlier in 2020. Uh, you were a huge inspiration for me here.
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Adam. I actually didn't know that. Maybe you have told me that, but I can't remember. Maybe you have. maybe you have. But uh, uh, it, it, it says everything. It's a, it's a good conversation, so therefore we forgot the uh, formalities. Mm-hmm. We, we broke the rules. Yeah, I know. Here uh, I am trying to go back to the rules. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Uh, by my background, I've already said that uh, I've been working in the industry for many years, born and raised in the industry. Mom and Dad ran... Um, restaurant in the southern part of a little country called Denmark, uh, mm-hmm. mostly known for fairy tales and uh, Little Mermaid and, uh, <laughs> and, Vikings. Uh, and Vikings. Yeah, we, that probably was probably our biggest impact on history. There's nothing, nothing beautiful and exotic about that story. Uh, and then I spent my life, uh, growing up mom and dad's restaurants. My mom uh, sent me away from the restaurant when I was 15 to uh, to mcdonald's uh because he thought that would be good for me because then i'll probably get out of hospitality but it has the the, the totally opposite effect uh i stayed at mcdonald's uh, on and off for about 11 plus years working in both in restaurants you know cleaning loose to running restaurants to be in the head office in different teams uh, and uh, running different critical projects and both in Denmark and, and then later in the in the UK as well um, and uh, then I also were part of a Danish uh, cafe chain was actually where I got my knowledge with good to great, but also where I could practice it. Hmm. I had a playground to practice good to great. And we'll probably go into some of those examples of what we succeeded, but also more important, what we failed with Hmm. because we didn't really implement it. We just talked about it uh, in a way. And that's often what happens with good leadership and management practices. You talk a lot about it. So, and then uh, after that adventure, I wanted to do something for myself. So I started doing a bit of consultancy for different restaurant chains in Denmark. And then over the years, that turned into Hospitality Mavericks, which then had turned into the podcast and have an advisory arm on. And uh, our primary focus is helping people uh, finding the North Star Mm -hmm. and the purpose. Again, often people have it. They just need to find it again and get that cemented into the organization and help them building uh, the culture they need to have through their people practices uh so in in a way inspired by good to great trying to uh, you know implement good to great thinking and more self-management as well mm-hmm. as something we worked on the last couple of years which i think is probably for a different podcast that we talked about in the beginning <laughs> i think it's going to be a very big thing in hospitality because we just can't afford the same infrastructure we had before just from a cost point of view mm-hmm. and in the end of the day it was not very efficient in any way, both for people engagement or customer engagement or profitability. Hmm. So there's probably something wrong about how we organize ourselves. But that's that's a different conversation. So these are the things I'm I'm passionate about, and then hospitality in general. And then we also uh, connected on the, the game changer. Group.
0: That's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The game changers group started on Facebook, and yeah. uh, I mean, when was that? Was would have been uh, near well, probably October-ish timeframe, I think last year. And that's just continued to be such a a dynamic community with uh, with like-minded people in the industry, just trying to figure out how we move things forward, how we come out of this and make the industry better. It's been uh, pretty fulfilling to be a part of that.
1: Yeah, and no, I don't think uh, we have the answers. I mentioned I done like a separate episode with David Chennery here in the UK. With uh, he's an architect who works on the design of restaurants, and we we talk a lot about the, the sustainability and uh, you know how can we make a impact as speaker mm-hmm. than just making a profit both on the people, communities, and the planet. But we didn't get any answers out of that. We actually created more questions to ourselves, and we can understand it's difficult. So I don't think we have. Idiot, but also because we are still—I think most of the world is still hypenating If we can we are. say that yeah. in a nice way, yeah, <laughs> close down. <laughs> right. um, uh and there's so much else going on that we haven't even seen how those are landing. If you talk, uh, think about the uh, the pest analysis. If you just start to think about what's going on in that, you know, big political movements, economical mm-hmm. movements, uh, technology movements. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. there's so much demographic customers' behaviors.
0: Yeah, uh, there's a lot of dust to settle still. It's yeah. still all up in the air. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. Um, so, you know, we decided to get together to do the show, to talk a little bit more deeply about the book, the good to great book. Yeah. Uh, but rather than just diving into each one of the principles, trying to pick out some of the pieces that are relevant maybe to what's going on today in, in the industry at large and and how people can take some of these principles and and action them in their own lives to make their careers better, maybe help them find a new path in, for uh, for their career, or make their organizations better, and just be part of the solution as we come out of this. So yeah. it's uh, you know I hope that it's a, an episode that people get a lot of value out of. I think it's it's important to have this conversation right now.
1: Yeah, uh, I think uh, you uh, you're spot on, um, and I think it's more about actually starting some reflection on. Mm-hmm the organization or the team you're leading, because actually the beautiful thing about good to great, and if you haven't read it, go and buy it. If you have read it and it stands on the bookshelf and you didn't really read it, take it down and read it again and think about it this way, because I think actually, as I say, there's principles about how you build a great yourself, because you need to start leading yourself before you can lead others. And we will tap into uh, level five leadership in a second. and then there's the, the thing about again teams. You know, you, can, you don't have to run an organization for this book to be relevant. You can just run a team. Because I started working with this on a team level and it works, you know. Uh, and uh, and then there's also the organization, of course. And that's the picky. That's where it becomes difficult, like any organism because it's organizational change exactly. exactly. Right. And, and you're playing with people's perception about how the world works, and so mm-hmm. on. And that's easier to do in a team. So I think I think people have to have that in their their, their head. And and it's about habits. I think it's another important thing when I talk with people about these principles, or they want to change. It's about micro habits. It's about you're changing habits within yourself and the people you work with. Mm-hmm. And I think it took me it took me an organizational transformation project with the the, the cafe chain. And the first part of it after a year, we found out we have massively failed. We've taken all these people away on two away days. We introduced them to all these concepts and we've done some reflection. And then we thought we are doing some implementation, but it was driven by my passion because Mm. nobody else has bought into it, I found out. Um, And that was when I found out that there's something he writes in the book, stands in the gray box. I'm looking at it right now. And it starts with disciplined people. When you have disciplined people, you get disciplined thoughts, you get disciplined action. Mm-hmm. But the problem I had was that I had too many of the not right people. Uh I was just trying to make them right, but mm-hmm. I couldn't because they didn't fit the culture. They were not, mm-hmm. they were not they were not on the same journey as us. They didn't believe in the same things as us. And a great example, they didn't believe some of the the GMs who work with didn't believe in people first. Mm-hmm. Thereby you're not a level five leader. Mm-hmm. So so that was a massive learning that actually you really have to stop up and make some reflection about where are you now mm-hmm. and where you want to go to. And that journey could be five to ten years. And I wanted to do it everything very quickly. I found out I was in my mid-20s at that point, found out very quickly. I'm like too overambitious. I this is a journey, this is a process. Uh it's human e- evolution almost in a way that happens within an organization. Um, and I missed that the first time. So I I just wanted to set the scene with that for my understanding. So learning.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, I I had a similar experience with this. And after I read the book and I reflected on it for, you know, 15 or 16 years now and gone back to it continuously. And I'm putting myself in this bucket here as I do this reflection, but I look back on 25 years in, in the hotel industry, and I've probably only had one level five leader and. I like to think that I am aspiring to that. I like to think that i'm I, I try to strive every day to to get there, but I'll tell you when when you're in an organization and you've got all of the different you know in hospitality, we're experts at putting in new goals and you know new new uh, uh, projects to strive after. And when you get inundated, buried in the day-to-day operation in a big hotel or working for a big hotel company. It's very easy. And I like your point about discipline. It's very easy to get pulled off of off course and to be undisciplined in, in, in seeing the long game, right? It's easy to get bogged down in making sure that the things that need to get done, get done. Um, And if you start having conflict within the organization, self-preservation very quickly takes over, uh, people get defensive, people get territorial And, and and the lack of discipline causes very quickly the rest of a very interconnected company can interconnected industry to lose focus on what the big goal is. And so it comes all the way back to the person at the top or this, or the, you know, in some cases, some of the people at the top to have to make sure that if you're in a position of senior leadership and you're directing an organization, you've got to be laser focused and maniacal on where everybody's going. How does your day-to-day work? How does your day-to-day interactions support the long-term goals for the organization and not get knocked off course with some of these smaller things that pop up on a daily, weekly, or monthly basis. And again, reflecting back on 25 years, I think I've had one person be able to do that successfully. So it's it's not easy to do, but I think if you're striving to get there and you recognize that, that you probably can get there, but you just have to have a high degree of self awareness uh, in how you approach what it is that you do. Then, you know, you're going to be better tomorrow than you are today. Yeah. And that's, you know, that was my experience with it. I
1: think it's uh, quite spot on because also often people want the new shiny thing, mm-hmm. and you know, you see people think leadership is about coming up with a new shiny thing. But in principle, what we I think we're going to see again as we come on the other side of a, a post-pandemic, I think we'll see that the level five leadership was a lot about doing the boring mundane thing again and again, but doing them great, outstanding, right. and becoming great at it. And if you go back and read, you know, all the great thinkers, Stephen Arco, you mentioned Ken Blanchard, you can uh, you take Danny Meyer, they're all focusing on a discipline around a set of uh, practices, principles, philosophies, beliefs they have within their things about doing it again and again um, mm-hmm. and and doing it well. And actually don't put too many rules in place that will block that to happen. Because often when you need a lot of rules, it's because you're doing too many things that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So, And they talk about it good to great. They also talk about those leaders has an ability to not to make a to do list and we all have a to do list but how often do we do a stop doing list and as we were we were talking about before christmas doing this i was actually sitting one evening and just looking through the book and i had the to stop to do list and i started doing it myself because i totally forgot that principle and how powerful that principle is to stop doing And what we need right now in the time we're in, in any organization, even if the world that had forced us to stop doing, I still think there's probably a lot of projects when it comes to digitalization. It's just because we need to digitalize now. Now we need to get started. Is this actually the right idea? What is the idea around digitalization in our organization? How do we understand this and what three things it's going to do for us? Besides keeping us alive right now and serve our customers contact free and I understand all these things needs to be put in very quickly. Uh, They should have probably been put in before the pandemic if you would be really cynical um, because that would just be better business practice. But again, finding out what practices and why are you doing things there? If you're adding a new thing, why are you adding that? It's giving us more value than what we're already doing. And I think, or else, why should you change the momentum of the organization? And I think, I think... I think we need to get to that again, because I think a lot of the disengagement in work is actually because there's so many new things put through organizations sometimes where, and I think it's about 83% of people There's disengaged in their work, which is quite scary. Uh, that was pre-pandemic. And I think maybe people are going to be a bit more overbearing, maybe and not so critical in the financial situation we're going to come out in now. But still, we have a massive challenge we had before the pandemic as leaders. And I think it comes from, we just keep on inventing things that needs to be done and then suddenly the plate is just too big you can't really eat that plate of food as a yeah. employee or leader and that's where things starts to go wrong i think
0: well you're, and that, you're just good you're, you're just great. good yeah i mean speaking of as an operations person for you know most of my career you know, that execution is the name of the game and the more that you Load somebody's plate, the less they are able to, like you may be able to get something off the ground, but you can't keep it alive. There's no stickiness to it, right? There's no buy in. There's no, because you're just, you're on to the next thing. And that next thing may or may not support organizational goals. It may not support, uh, and forget about organizational goals for a second. It may not align with what the people in the organization want to be doing. And this is another part I think that is definitely worth diving into is, is like, is the first, first who, then what uh, position or, or, or uh, principle from the book. But if you are hired to do a certain job, let me back up even a little bit further here. You may be attracted to apply for a job at an organization because The job aligns with what you want to be doing. When you're trading time for money, hopefully you can find a job that aligns with your skill set and what you're interested in doing. Right, so you kind of seek out these jobs. I mean, I I realize some people don't have a choice and they have to take whatever they have. But you know, in a in a rose-colored glasses world, you're aligning your what you want to do with what you're good at doing. And the company hires you to do that thing. And then, but slowly over time, an undisciplined approach to how the company uh, operates and changing goals and, and moving away from kind of core philosophies and, and values creates misalignment within, you know, the, the structure of the organization From and takes people away from doing what it is that they can do, what they enjoy doing. And they subsequently start putting a lot more time and effort to become better at doing something that they will never quite be good at. This goes back to something I talk about all the time: is the the eighty twenty or the Pareto principle. Why would you spend a whole lot of time putting energy into getting marginally better at something that you're never going to be great at? Put your energy into something that you are going to be great at. You're going to you're going to far exceed any goals and expectations that may be put on you. So I think just to kind of wrap up that little monologue, <laughs> Yeah. why that's important though, is that, and how it all ties together is that a level five leader understands that they are working for the people within the organization. It's not the other way around. And it's not to say that you can't change direction or strategic, strategic vision towards something, but, you have to understand the expertise that you have within the organization, what people are good at doing, and help them get to the place you need them to get to if you, if you need to change the strategic direction of the organization. And I hope that it yeah, makes perfect sense in my head. I, I hope that it makes sense as I say it out loud. Um, but you know, this, again, is something that our industry is going to be dealing with as we're dealing with it now, but as we come out of this pandemic, this is going to be a big thing because many companies are going to find themselves having to, many hotel companies and and hospitality companies, having to change how they do business. And many are going to overreact. That, That rubber band is going to snap back. And and they're going to be undisciplined in their approach of of how to do it, or the reverse is true. They're not going to take any action, and they're just going to be left standing there, and the world's going to pass them by. Um, and so that's again, you know, why this book is so powerful is is that it forces you. I think if you internalize it, to think about these things and how you approach them.
1: Yeah, because the, the interesting thing about uh, level five leadership, as you just talked about, uh, is that exactly your job as the leader is more finding out how you utilize the strengths of your team. And that individual you're responsible for, you are responsible for, you are in service for, and you can take Simon Sinek and he talks about similar things, but this is clearly that he's inspired from this book, as I normally say, and maybe he will disagree with me, but I think he's very inspired by Good to Great because there's so many analogies of a level five leaders. And he, when he talks, uh, leaders eat last and finding a why and, uh, uh, the infinite game and so on. Uh, but I think that the, the thing here is they are in service for the organization. Mm-hmm. Um, and lots of these, you know, and they, that could be, you know, uh, he says it could be pure, uh, uh, an accident in the data, but 10 out of 11 of them came from the inside, grew it, because these was like quite big companies. Of course, they were traded on the stock exchange, and I know it can be different in a small organization, but often these people come from inside the organization. And uh, funny enough, if I reflect on my own journey, the, the leaders that, that kept within the business were also the people that had grown from the uh, the floor. Uh, and actually started living this, they could see the idea around good to great and why we had to do that. And people that came in rejected it because in a way it made them uncomfortable that they were not the boss. You could almost, Mm -hmm. they wouldn't say that, but I need to make those decisions. No, no, that's not how we work here. We work with the best people do the job they're best at. So it is your job to find the right seat for them instead of just, if we've hired them and they've been here for two years, they must fit the bill. It must be something in our business that's wrong since they suddenly doesn't work or they're not performing, or you need to find out why it's not working for them. Maybe there's something in a private life. Oh, that's not my matter. It is your matter because you are in service to the organization and the organization is in service to them. And that's your role. That's what you get paid for. And and I, I found out it was actually about people that has like, seen that happen over a lot of time and tried that on their own body that their GM have behaved like that, could easily transit into these leadership roles we had. But what we learned as well was that we have hired a lot of people in a very uh, fast uh, expansion uh, because we got some great opportunities, a bit of luck, and we were good at some things we did. We also found out that you can't scale because you can't, these key people you can't hire men. Um, yeah, there, there was a couple, but you know, but out of twenty five, we hired in, we lost twenty three. Again, so that was a very expensive. We're talking senior level people here to go in and run a hospitality business, and that was where I found out we were not ready to do it. We were not at our uh, inflection point of uh, being great. We were just good, mm-hmm. and that, in a way, set us a lot back. And we got into some serious problems um, with that. But again, it also comes into what kind of person are you looking for becoming a leader in your business? What kind of leader? What is your best leader? And that's actually how we define the perfect leadership profile. And everybody's different. We don't need the same talk in the room. That doesn't mean they don't they don't disagree. We have to disagree. And I think that's the interesting thing with good to great, that these leaders and the leadership team were not just sitting a, agreeing on things. They had like brutal conversation. I can still remember this is probably the most refreshing environment I ever been in where things were just said as they was. And I struggle after I left that environment because I brought that with me mm. into bigger companies saying, there's the pink elephant. Let's do something about it. You don't do that because that means that you're changing somebody's job. But it doesn't matter that if you're the right person. So we'll find something else to do. We just need to to slaughter the, the pink elephant because mm-hmm. that's our problem. Because I'm used to that kind of, that was what we did. We didn't have long meetings. We, we talked about the facts, the brutal facts that was in there. And we can come back to that thing. But I think, but it, it doesn't mean that and often that is being actually looked as arrogant but actually again it's serving that's in the service of the organization to get the problem the real problem solved first and the yeah. things are really sticky
0: yeah you don't end up with an organization where you just have a bunch of managers that like to hear themselves talk yeah right you you quickly diagnose a problem or or you don't maybe somebody comes in and they think that something's a problem and within that, a very short amount of time in a meeting you can have a discussion on why that's not a problem and we should actually be focused on something else. Yeah. But you can have that quick debate and then move on with your lives. You don't need yeah. to be in a meeting for five or six hours, uh, you know, while everybody pontificates on you know everything going on in the world. Um, you can get down and 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 get to get to work, get to action. Um, what is we've we've danced around what level five leadership is, but if you could succinctly talk about you know, what what level five leadership is and what it isn't, and maybe why it's even called level five leadership, just for the edification and the benefit of people who haven't actually read the book.
1: And there is a, like a, a pyramid in the book um, with five levels. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's level one where you are the qualified employee, you're doing a your job, you're getting and time and so on. And then there's where you be contributed team member, where you start to contribute, you come up with ideas, that's level two, and you can all imagine that how you've been on your own journey, where you probably started doing what the boss told you, and then you got more and more involved. Then there's the competent boss or manager, (laughs) That's the one that knows how things are done. You know, you know the, the the playbook, and you're very good at organizing that playbook and following it, and make sure everything is on time. We all know that from hospitality. That's of course important. It's a very important skill on that journey. And then there's the the effective leader, which probably uh, it's a bit more about that person's own ability. It's a bit more that about their profile and their ability to set a quick strategic direction and actually be part of, at this level, you're probably part of an executive team. And I think a lot of leaders today, without being, they're probably very unconscious has become like this because we've trained them in business schools and leadership training and as organization to become that because the effective leader was probably uh, uh, born out on the industrial model of efficiencies. Mm -hmm. So they create very quick wins for an organization. And they're probably more focusing on what the shareholder gets, if they want or not. They can still be people-focused. I'm not saying they're not people-focused, but they're probably more focused on delivering shareholder value because that keeps them in the job than saying no to the shareholders. Uh, and then there's a level five, which is um, data one that makes these breakthroughs because they stay on the ship for many years up to... Twenty-five years, fifty years—I can't remember. Southwest Airlines is one of the companies that's mentioned. I can't remember how many years Herb Keller was in front of that business, but I think we talk plus thirty years or something mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. as the CEO. That's incredible. Even he was one of the founders, but that's still incredible. Oh, you yeah. think about in that in today's world where CEOs are moving as fast as uh, sports trainers and managers, <laughs> you know, right? Um, um, that uh, I yeah, you know, I can't remember. Uh, heard about that in newer time that somebody have stayed uh, in the business for so long and maybe you know you have Steve Ells and Howard Schultz that stayed around the business for a long time but in the CEO role uh and, and, it's pretty, and rare. Plain, pretty rare yeah and uh and again these people you don't you ha- I had never heard about I never heard about Herb Keller before I read that because they 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 don't then they're probably doing the opposite of what we do right now. They don't they don't attract attention when they work on their project because Mm -hmm. their project is more important in the external world. They then find out over time, they need to talk about what they do and they do that now. But again, at at, at that point when they did this research, there was not much information about them. They didn't need, so they are very humble people Mm -hmm. and they're just getting on with their job and they work incredible hard, Mm -hmm. incredible hard behind the lines. And they don't care about who gets the credit for the work. Mm And I think that's the key thing. You probably wouldn't see many, you know, pre the, uh, the digital and the content age, you wouldn't probably see many of their leadership team being displayed in big financial times articles and blogs and so on about their great turnaround. Because also, they didn't need to do a turnaround because they consistently just deliver results every year. So there was nothing like these big momentums going on. It's not a Jack Wells kind of story. Um, and that's an interesting thing, just touching on that, and then I will stop uh, at uh, Jack Wells or G- General Electives were one of the comparison companies because actually, if you looked at them, think, oh, they they performed well up through the 90s. That was like, that was the leadership guru Jack Wells mm-hmm. in the end of the 90s and the mm-hmm. early 2000s oh, yeah. as well, I think. I think it was that, especially he was very brutal about firing the 10% every year, uh, which is oh, not it, something yeah, I, I I support at all. ranking, I think yeah. That, uh, but coming back to that, if you look at their share price, it's gone up and down, up and down, up and down. And then you took Costco and put that over their share price. And Costco has never had those years with those massive growths. As they had, but in the end, Costco's share gives gave you about twenty percent more return of investment over a thirty year period than General Electric would done because they lost it all in these mm-hmm. these up and down periods. So these well, people also as soon as he are recession was... proof, you know, and that's interesting with a great company. It's recession proof; they go through recessions.
0: That. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. The you know, so somebody who knows more about GE than than me could could correct me, but I think arguably after he the organization, uh, that's when a lot of the the turmoil happened. Yeah, uh, right. They're kind of the up and down, and consistent results, and and uh, I think they're not nearly the same company today that they were uh, back when he was running the ship. There was that actually. What was the book he wrote? I think it was called Winning. Yeah. Um, that, uh, that I read back in the early days. And, and it's been a long time since I read the book, but I think you couldn't find two opposite approach, two, two more opposite approaches to leadership and how to run an effective organization than that book and Good to Great. It's just completely different philosophies. Yeah. Um, and you know, the, if you had to boil down to one word, and it's hard to do, but if you had to boil down one word, to what separates level five leadership from everything else. It's ego or lack of ego. It's people that realize that they're in service of others. It's it's servant leadership at its finest. Uh, it's a textbook application of it. Um, and, and getting ego out of leadership, uh, especially in today's environment, is uh, incredibly hard to do. You have to have a high degree of self-confidence in your own abilities, right? If you're in a leadership position or not even like, if you're just, if you lead a shift, you're trying to figure out, I like think back to your McDonald's days, if you were a shift leader, or if, if I was a front desk supervisor and I just had, you know, three or four people that I was responsible for for eight hours who only came to me when they had problems. Right. Cause that's, again, you know, if something's going wrong, they come to the shift leader. Uh, applying some of these principles into how you lead your shift, forget about organizations, uh, will go far. And the first step is, is taking your ego out of it. It's taking you to be right all the time. It's taking out the your perception of what a manager or a leader actually is in that command and control, and you have to listen to what I say and you know do what I say and how I do it. And at the same time, be willing to be open to new ways of doing things, and being willing to change your tact, change your mind, and change your opinions based on receiving new information. That's so it's so critical, and it's just so lacking. I think back to all the organizations that I worked with throughout my career, in the different hotels and, and leadership teams, and there was always so much ego, so much territorialism. So much uh, self-preservation in a lot of these companies that unless you get that out of it, you're never going to get into that that level five sphere. You're, it's going to take the CEO to emulate what that is, and then slowly surround themselves with people who have a, a similar view, right? And this kind of ties in perfectly into the you know first who then what mode of or a or, uh, or a section of the book, is that you've got to get the right people, not just on the right bus, but the right people in the right seat on the right bus who have a similar way of looking at the world or, or buy into the philosophy and are willing to at least try it. Uh, and that's how that's how you get this permeation. It per- permeates through, through a company. Um, but to your point, right at the start, it takes time. This this might be a five or ten year plan. Yeah. And right. I think I think I think I think it's something that
1: we have to come back to again because also what's interesting about level five leadership and that's very well connected about what type of people they would hire, they would uh, you know, they would uh, when things goes wrong, they don't look out of the window, as it says in the book, and blame, you know, the environment the uh, markets, the investors, the, their people. Uh, so, you know, I've been in an organization where the the, the team has been blamed for unsuccessful uh, strategies. Um, no, they looked themselves in the mirror and said, what could I have done differently? And how can I correct course as quick as possible? Mm-hmm. Because I am the one that's responsible. I'm in charge, it's my shift. I'm the captain on this boat, and I'm in service to them. And I think again, they were looking for those straight in people because you know, if I think they, you know, um, I had an incredible team, and I've probably because I very uh, I in my very early days were good to great, but I got a team built when I was running a single unit at some point, and that business just ran by itself in the end. But it didn't do that from day one. It was like three years of extreme hard grind for me. And actually it was because of unconscious because I was too young to think about it this intelligent way that I actually got people that took responsibility because I like being around people. I don't have to tell them they have to do their job. You know, they just do it. And that's mm-hmm. automatically something always irritated me. So I probably got quite rid of those people quite quickly because I thought you will have to look yourself in the mirror and ask, I've done everything I can to solve this problem. Before I said, I don't know how this works. I don't know how to turn on the water or whatever it is, uh, give this customer the money back. Because I said, I don't care how you open that till. If there's no one around to help you, just give that customer the money back so we don't get a problem. Um, uh, because I don't care how it's registered in the system. In the end of the day, those those five pounds doesn't matter in the big picture. But an angry mm-hmm. customer will cost you a thousands of pounds within very short time because they go and tell people. So I think I think I think that comes back again to. They were very clear about the principles they want to operate their business on. And they all had different principles and beliefs about it. And that was what they hired for. They didn't hire for skill. They hired for values and beliefs that fitted their culture. And they were you know, brilliant in doing that. And I think there is an example. They're not in the book, but something I, a lot of people definitely in Europe and also in the States know about Prada Montier, the, the sandwich chain, which is <laughs> our they've been extremely good at hiring on that basis and made that part of their principle. Uh, i would never seen uh, something like that that's been like, and, and actually it's the staff to choose who's going to be hired. So it's oh, not wow. the manager. The manager maybe do the first interview, but it's actually the staff. There's a trial shift. And then the team said, "Could we work with that person? Does that actually have the, the values of this team? Is that going to be a good fit? And they will decide. I think that's incredible, clever, clever. And we find out because we went over in those days. We were doing good to great, and we 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 heard about this chair. and I was talking with the manager in a, one of these restaurants. I found out, well, what is what is it that you're doing when you're hiring? I heard there's some kind of story about your staff. Did, and we did we went back and did that in two of our cafes, and you're absolutely right. It took a lot of problems away from the manager because it was not the manager's fault if they didn't work; it was the staff. <laughs> and they will resign by themselves because they didn't fit into the culture. The culture rejected them. Yeah. And we, we're talking about shift workers here. So it actually works, but you you have to dare to do it and, and take that responsibility and put your hands on your staff and say, you have the mm-hmm. final word, I trust you. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't want to give them that responsibility, why did you hire them in the first case? You know?
0: Yeah, that's true. Why did you hire them, and and why? Like, what is going on in your own head where you don't think that you're you're not comfortable with yeah. with giving away that responsibility that usually falls to a manager? Yeah, that's. I think that's. I mean, talk about maverick. <laughs> it's it's yeah, putting putting that on the on the team. I love that idea. Um, you you I think, know, I think
1: I think you need to do it as well as we go forward. We. Uh... This is, as I said, it's not for now to talk about how we should organize ourselves as we go forward. But I think you will not have the time. Uh, you will not have the right answers as the leaders we go forward. It will be the the frontline employees that will make most of the decisions in hospitality mm-hmm. because there will not be a fort to have big head offices and so on. Uh, it was already happening pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. The pandemic have, you know wiped out this in my world. So how do we actually give them infrastructures to do these things? Of course, we didn't just say to them, they had like, there was a, a tool, of course, they could use and they filled it out like they were filling out hazard plans and mm-hmm. other checklists. It's not more difficult than that. But in the end, it, of course, they made their decision on their gut, like everyone does. But if they say good for them, right. And they're going to be the one that trains that person. I can be, I can tell you something else happens up in their head. That training is going to be at a different level than any good trainer you could train technically because suddenly mm-hmm. it's their responsibility. And yep. they know that uh, the, a good GM or manager will come back and ask them, so how did it go with that person? And what I did to make sure this was implemented was that I went out and had conversations with all the people that was hired on any level and ask them about how how, is the, how did this journey go and if I could feel or uh, hear that, that it was not the staff that made the decision of course I will start asking questions because of, mm-hmm. oh because we we're busy we didn't have time no 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 this is the most important decision we're ever going to make in an organization is who we hire who we hire it's not how much we paid them and how busy we are at the time and it's who we get. It's not what, it's who we get on board. Mm -hmm. Um, And it worked because they saw it was important thing. And that was the only thing I focused on almost for a year. Uh, Of course, there was other responsibilities as responsible for operation and people, but that in itself earned my salary. Many many times because you know we can talk about turnover rates and stuff like that. Sure, of course they can right. And I think that's what the the good to great leaders focus on. The eighty percent of the time is focused on their people, their people, uh, and twenty percent other is strategic thinking.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's what they do. And they let the people are responsible for their parts of the business get on with it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Talk about something that could so quickly help you develop in other people their some leadership skills. It fosters trust. Uh there's a huge amount of respect that's shown uh, and that's built between, you know, two people when you turn that level of responsibility over to, uh, to a line level employee. It helps them develop their intuition and their their ability to um you know read people and and it helps them feel like their day-to-day work contributes to the broader organizational goals right there's so many yeah. benefits here and that is probably the best tie-in to this the the third principle i wanted to talk about which was the hedgehog principle yeah right which is which is basically you know for lack of a better term sticking to your knitting it's yeah. setting a goal and and or a vision or a direction and not being all over the board with it, not changing your direction, uh, you know, every other day because of whatever political, economic, technological winds are blowing, um, or uh, you know, or, or whatever might throw you off course. It's making sure that not only are you disciplined in your ability to stick to an organizational goal. But it's being able to communicate what those goals are in a meaningful way that gets buy-in and gets people wanting to work towards wherever it is you're trying to get to. It's huge. Yeah,
1: and I, and I think the the beauty of the the hedgehogs concept is it actually again implies on on your life as well because. Uh, if something in this time, you need to ask yourself the right question. There's three questions in these three circles. And uh, uh, what is it that you are truly passionate about here in life, both in you know work and uh, and your, your, your spare time? Because you need to combine that. We all know that. But a good to great companies knew they had to combine that on organization level, team level, on organization level. And then uh, also, what can you be the best to in the world? Not the second best, but the best. What can you be Be the number, the 10 best stuff in the world? And uh, can I, it? does it work like financially? What is your economical driver? How do you make it tick? How do you make a business work? Because it's very important that maybe they're people first, but they're still very focused on being a performance company because if they don't make money, I always said, you know, uh, put your people first, but you need to make a profitable business as well at the same time. And actually, it comes into the business model. Often, mm-hmm. there has been not enough time talking about the idea and the business model as it's evolved because there's a lot of great company that grows, but then they don't look at their, their, mon- their money bit and they just think, yeah, but just because we get bigger, we get more money. No, no, no. You need to look at what happens in the mechanics of a business and the profitability of every angle of the business. Um, and that's what they were good at, combining that. And when you got into the center of that and you combine those three circles, then you have greatness. And mm-hmm. then it's about getting momentum within that greatness and keep on working on it, not change strategy all the time. If you know, and I think, you know, my old employer, McDonald, I would say is a prime example of knowing your hedgehog concept. Mm. They know what they can be the best at in the world for definitely they are a burger company, but also a property company and now a tech company now as well. They're very passionate in building systems that cannot be changed by Anyone, no matter what, every when you're training these this system, you will be successful. But you can't change them because they are rock solid, and that's that's what they. I think that's what I believe McDonald's are passionate about in the end, you know. And besides serving their shareholders and stuff like that, but a systemized business to the level mm-hmm. that I have never seen anywhere else in my life yet. Uh, and I think good to great companies had that systemized approach, but in systemizing a burger business in principle, or restaurant, they're the first one to make commercial restaurants, actually. They're probably also the best in the world to run commercialized restaurants mm-hmm. on a, such a scale. Mm-hmm. And again, yeah, and the money works, you know, everybody wins. They probably made more billionaires or millionaires, not billionaires, millionaires in McDonald's than anyone else has in the world. I'm talking about franchisees here because yeah, yeah, it's a very good business.
0: Yeah, and all of that is on the back of of being disciplined and sticking
1: yeah. to, to yeah, and to, not, uh, not changing all the time. You know, right. there, there, There's there's a product. This is how we do. We and of course they, but they evolve all the time. They don't. If you look at McDonald's through the pandemic, you haven't heard McDonald's do like massive shifts in their strategy. That may be been no. some correction from safety and normal operational. But again, we continued with our digitalization journey. We are continue, and maybe they speed up on some things, but, and the same I will say for Chipotle. It's the same kind mm-hmm. of thing. And that's my world and what I understand really well. And that's just interesting. Not even a pandemic shakes that journey. They just continue yeah. working on consistently improving themselves just at 1% on, the, yeah. on
0: their journey. 1% every day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 1% every day. Uh, and I mean, that's, that's how you get this flywheel effect. Yeah. Right. That's how that ties perfectly into probably maybe the last thing to, to talk about here is the, is how disciplined thoughts, disciplined people and disciplined actions, uh, get this momentum going within an organization to get that 1% every day. Well, you think 1% is not enough, but you know, or not very much, but you know, look at what 1% a day can do for you over the course of a month or a year. You could be in a, a completely different level of performance by just focusing on very small incremental improvements every single day. Yeah. And
1: is the compound uh, impact mm-hmm. as you also know it. About what, you know, one penny savings to be to in, in 14 years. If yeah, you know. yeah. <laughs> We've all seen those investment books. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think I think a great example of that, uh, if we think about also business that, you know, I don't know, they, pro- they, they haven't been studied as a great business, but I made a bit of a note here at some point during the pandemic because everybody was talking about these guys, Amazon. Hmm. And um, what is their flywheel? There's something they do right they draw money to them in so many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and what is the day, maybe you can ask, what are they passionate about? I think they're passionate about putting everything online mm-hmm. and controlling the asset. But again, they, they start with having, you know the, their, their flywheel is very clear. It's their webpage, amazon.com is the entry point. So Then you go in there and there's lower prices on more offerings. You can get everything in one place at probably the cheapest price. Mm-hmm. If you're you're hooked, you don't go and look anywhere else. You don't Google prices because you know they're going to beat them on price. And that's that's, that's right. the thing they do. Uh, and that increased customer visits. Uh, and I think they've done something smart I haven't even thought about now. The uh, one-click payment, you know. I'm out, that's right. I go on my phone, I want that book, it's done. I I don't even think about it. It's just absolutely ingrained in my behavior now, which is probably quite bad behavior because I probably have more books than I have time to read. (laughs) Uh, And then they attract third-party sellers because they suddenly have a very attractive platform for people to sell through, but Everybody knows about that. And then they expand their, their stores, number of store distribution network. They start with their own cars. They're buying planes now. They are online storage of things, data warehouse. And then they grow revenues and a pair of items they have on that platform. And that just continues. And then they get more products in there and cheap. And, that, and they know these are the things they just have to do, continue doing, and the business grows. And they understand that flywheel. Um, and they know they are the best at that in the world, or they don't want to lose that position now. So therefore they're doing all those things they're doing now. And they are part of the the, the, the four big ones, I think the one in the pandemic, together with Google, Facebook, Apple, and then uh, Amazon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know what that means for the world, but it's, it's in a way, you know, if you think about if they are acting if they act like a true great company, be good for the world but i'm still nervous about if that's the outcome and i don't know enough about amazon to 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 say that but i'm i'm always nervous when power is in too few hands
0: yeah i think a lot of people are uh, i mean those four companies in particular have been all over the news about getting called in front of um you know various government bodies around the world to talk about how they do business uh yeah. and you know are they creating monopolies or or are they are they eliminating competition in their spaces too quickly by acquiring them? Uh, I mean, that's, that could be a whole other (laughs) episode, but there's no doubt that, that, that these four companies in particular, you could argue the semantics of great in this statement I'm going to make. But the point is, is that these organizations have been able to, they're not just good. I mean, they're great organizations in their own way because they've been Focused on, you know, your your example earlier about the the CEO of um, Southwest. You know, nobody else has run Amazon since inception, right? He's Bezos is still in charge. I mean, uh, yeah. Tim Cook was with Apple as COO forever until yeah. he took over, right? Yeah, very good example. Um, you know, Facebook was started by Zuckerberg. Um, he's still in charge. What's, what was the other one you said? Uh, 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 Was that Apple, Google, 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 Google. They they've had very, very low senior level uh, turnover since, since they, since they started. So, you know, you can start to see commonalities, whether you agree with their practices or not, that's a different discussion. But the point is that they're in the positions that they're in because they follow some of these tested principles and they very clearly work. And you can translate how those four companies do things, how some of the other companies that we've talked about do things into your work life and have a positive effect on your career and your teams and the results of your individual area of contribution in your organization by internalizing some of the things that that this book talks about and, and what we've been talking about now for an hour is this servant leadership, level, level five leadership, being disciplined in your thoughts and actions, um, making sure that you bring the right people onto your teams and making sure that, that you are in the right seat in, on your organization's bus um, and understanding what your flywheel is. How, what's the thing that you're trying to get momentum in that's going to continue to create positivity in what you're doing? And how can your goals and your actions support that to get that momentum going? I mean, that's really what this is all about.
1: Yeah. And it's funny, every time I talk about this book and um, read it again, I get a new insight. And that shows you the powerful. And also, there's so many books written now and there's so many people actually I can remember an interview I think it was Tim Ferriss that did a 3 hour interview with Jim Collins mm-hmm. yeah uh he's still on my list if you're listening out there Jim please reach out we have something to talk about <laughs>
0: uh uh i can uh, only hope that Jim Collins is listening to this podcast right
1: <laughs> uh, we'll we'll get in front of you Jim um uh the, the, the 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 interesting thing was that he didn't just want to write a book. He wants to answer a question and he was so curious, but also he wanted to make sure he answered it in a great way. And there's so many books that uh, doesn't put five years of research. I don't know he worked for a university and maybe have a research center and some capabilities, but that's also why, you know, this, this is valid, you know? And that was why I took it because... This, this is thought true. It's not like a, a management guru book where you know they can be good as well and give you inspiration, but this is like solid. And that's probably why it's kept with me. And Stephen R. Curry is a bit like, that's the same. That's probably more what he's experienced through and the practices of his business. And you mentioned Seven Habits. is actually funny enough, one of my books as well. And then uh, Setting the Table with Danny Meyer. Uh, they are like the three books that followed me and I always come back to. And 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 when I try to practice leadership in my own situation, but because they're timeless principles. Mm-hmm. And we need more of that because we don't mm-hmm. need a new shiny thing every time something happens. And we more than ever need consistency. And consistency is sexy. And lots of companies have forgot that, that exactly. And people like that. They like when they know what they're turning up to in a way. It doesn't mean that innovation shouldn't happen. Innovation should happen every day. And it shouldn't just be an event. Innovation often happens when you're in trouble. And that's when it's too late. And that's what's good to great is about, is that we're consistently improving ourselves, what we already know that works, and then we add a bit of extra ingredient in sometimes Mm -hmm. to spice it up, because now we are ready to take it in. And a lot of PE companies either scale or bring in things they're not even ready to, to do. You can talk about mergers and acquisitions and we could go on a long talk about that, which I think is a will never work. I've never seen any successful merchant acquisition, mm-hmm. definitely not in the restaurant sector where I'm from or any other companies. So so yeah, so if uh, yeah, so th- this was uh, that was absolutely amazing. We could continue, Adam.
0: We totally could. We could keep going here, but uh, yeah. I think uh it's probably uh I mean we've I think we talked about some really powerful stuff today. Um and you definitely know your stuff when it comes to this book. I know you've helped a lot of people with uh, within their organizations um, how to how to implement some of these practices and, and get better in what it is that they do. Uh, if anybody listening, Michael, wants to get a hold of you and talk about this a little bit more, uh, what's the best place for them to go?
1: Uh, that's through the website hospitalitymavericks.com there's also linkedin is probably where i hang out a lot uh, mm-hmm. uh or twitter for that sake and instagram but linkedin is the prime place and just look up my name michael tingsair which is a uh,
0: we'll put it in the show notes i know it's not a yeah, usual, it'll be but, in the show notes <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'll link to everything in the show notes and, uh, and yeah i i urge anybody listening to reach out to michael because uh um He's uh, he's he's a great guy and can definitely uh, help help you out with uh, whatever it is that you need in your uh, in yeah. certainly in the restaurant space. Yeah, and very important.
1: Just don't reach out because uh, you think uh, I will not reach out because I'm not interested in business. Just reach out anyway. I'll just like to talk with people about because we have to find out together how we make this industry change the industry or just make businesses better. Because my my purpose is actually just to make sure we leave better companies and workplaces than. We started out in, and when we do that, I'm 100 sure we create better jobs, better communities, and a better planet to live on. Mm-hmm. So, so any 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 anything is welcome, and there's a lot of people that that that, that actually you can book a, a call with me on my website. And I had a lot of conversation recently, which I would never thought I would have, like from students to people in different industries, and. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, yeah. What what people have of challenges out there, and so yeah, so I'm more than happy. And sometimes it's also just to tell me maybe that I'm totally wrong about what I said on one of my podcasts. <laughs> we we have to eat feedback for for breakfast if you want to be great, you know. So, Isn't that the truth? Isn't that the truth? Yeah.
0: Well, Michael, this was uh, this is a great conversation. Thanks so much. Great, thank you, Adam. Talk to you soon. This was my episode with Michael Tinks. There. Be sure to check out his podcast, Hospitality Mavericks, and visit his website, hospitalitymavericks.com. You can also find him on LinkedIn. I'll link to his profile in the show notes. You can see the full interview on YouTube, just search The Proven Principles Podcast, and if you wanna learn more about the show, just head over to our website, theprovenprinciplespodcast.com. Finally, if you need help coming up with a plan for the new year, or if you just need someone to work with on a tough problem in your hotel or restaurant, please don't hesitate to reach out. If I can be of help to you in any way, you can book a free call with me by going to knowinghospitality.com slash contact. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.
1: For past episodes, show notes, or if you've got a story that might make a great episode, head on over to the Podcast.com. We'd love to hear from you. You can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts, even on YouTube. And if you haven't already, don't forget to leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening to the Proven Principles
0: podcast.